followers that he would build his church and the gates of hell couldn't even come against it. Let's explore what it means to be empowered by Christ and sent out on mission. We carry the torch of what Jesus started and what Christians for centuries have continued. This is us. We're going to continue in our series today and uh, of This Is Us. And what we've been doing is we've been seeking to remind ourselves of what God has given us three years ago in the form of a vision to be a family of Christ followers who love, live, and lead. And we've looked at that uh, for three weeks. And we began with the first week and we looked at the establishment of the church, the the movement that Jesus established on himself, the movement that was established on the gospel, that was established on his declaration, or really Peter's declaration of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and it was that statement and that declaration that Jesus said, that is what I'm building this movement on. And that's what we talked about. We talked about how Jesus builds his church and he builds it on the foundation of the gospel, and he establishes a called-out people, an ecclesia, an assembly of those who are called-out ones, called out from the world to a purpose. God has gathered each one of us here, specifically, individually, to be a part of a greater whole. And he's given us marching orders to share the gospel, to take the message of Jesus Christ into all the world. And he has equipped us in such a way that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against his established body, his established people. And last week, James Griffin, a friend of mine from Crosspoint City Church in Cartersville, came and shared with us from Paul's letter to a local church, the church in Corinth, about how God had built them for something beyond themselves and that every one of them had a part that was equally created and given to them by, the, uh, by God through the Holy Spirit to equip them for good works so that God himself would be on display through his people. What we learn and understand is that God has called each and every one of us. He called us here He's called us on mission, sent us out, and he has empowered us and equipped us to do the things that are impossible without him so that we need his Holy Spirit to gift us. And I love this that James shared and reminded us that it is through the gifting of the Holy Spirit and us using the gifts that God has given us, serving him and doing his work, that he magnifies himself and displays himself for the world to see. Today we're going to look at the book that Peter wrote. Remember, Peter is the one that, that gave the right declaration. It was that one moment where Peter got it right. Most of the time he got it wrong or he, he spoke too soon. But this moment, actually, Jesus says, yes, yes, that's the thing. And you didn't figure that out. God gave it to you. And that's the thing I'm building all this on. Well, Peter became a church leader. He had his own foibles even beyond that. And he never stopped being Peter, but God used him. In spite of him, he was seen as 
an apostle, and he wrote himself a letter to the churches so that they could see what God had placed in his heart. We're going to look at that today, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at Peter's delineation that we are a people, a people that God has equipped and given a message to. We are called out by God into this body, this group, this people group. This body is a people group built and established by Him and for Him. When we, three years ago, came up with the terminology of a family of Christ followers, that is a biblical word to describe the people God has given to this task and this mission. He's called us out of the world, and He's caused us to be a people, His people. And we'll see in a moment where Jesus, or, or God, and He created His own people out of a, a line of people, and the Israelites, and the, Israel, uh, and the nation of Israel, and he gave a covenant to them. But now, through faith, we are a people, not by blood, but by blood. Not by lineage, but by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is what has formed us as a people, his people. A people for his possession, Peter says. I think that something that is at the core and heart of every person. And I think this is probably true of you today. We want to find a place where we belong. We want to find a place and a people to which we belong. And unfortunately, because of the world we live in and the complexities of the world, even our families, not necessarily are always guaranteed to be a place to which we can belong. But what the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus has made a place where you can belong. You do belong. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are already a member of this body. You're a member already of this people group because He has bought you by His blood and placed you into it. If you want a place to belong, you have it. This is it. If you want to do something significant with your life, that's another thing we all want to do. I want to do something worth something with purpose, with meaning. Friends, you have a place that you can do something significant because Jesus has saved you. He's brought you into this family, and he wants to use you to do something beyond you, something that is uh, only able to be done because we do it together, and we do it empowered by him. And so you can belong. You can do something significant. This is it. Let's look at Scripture to see the kind of people we're to be, and let's ask Jesus to help us to step out into our purpose as a family of Christ followers. Would you read with me 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 17? And if you are able, out of the honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand? Stand. 
Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those who sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is, by, for it is God's will that you, will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this passage, we see three aspects of our being a people chosen by God to do good works by his power and in his name, and we see the impact we can have. Number one, we are a people set up to be like Jesus. We are a people set up to be like Jesus. Peter reminds us that we are Jesus' people. And we ought to look like him. When we had kids, and uh, when we first had them, you know, you, you know, whose nose is that, and whose eyes are those, and whose mouth is that, and you try to figure out who do they look like, which one do they look like, and if you've seen my kids, I can't deny a single one of them. They look like me, right? And um, I know they're my kids because they look like me in a similar way not necessarily by physical attributes, but we as God's people, as his children, as Jesus's people group, we ought to represent him. People ought to be able to look at us and it ought to be undeniable that we are his. In fact, did you know that the first, the Christians in the church in Antioch, they were, it, it was a, it was a, 
a, an insult to them. People called them Christians, which means little Christs, little Jesuses. And people use that as an insult, and it stuck. We're called Christians today because it means that we look like Christ. We are the body of Christ, the people of Jesus, and therefore we ought to look like him. We ought to act like him. We ought to represent him with our lives, and that's what Peter is doing. Now, Peter knew this better than anyone else. Peter knew that he needed to do this better than anyone else. Because shortly after, Peter says, hey, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says, hey, you're going to die, deny me three times. Peter knew what it was like to have an old way of living and the way we ought to live now. And that's what he says. He says, he, he helps us to see what we should give up. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all these things. Get rid of these things in your life. These things that don't look like our Savior. These things that are antithetical to who Christ is. He communicates the things that we need to get rid of that don't look like Jesus. What does he say? All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Not just a little, all. We know that there's not a malicious bone in the body of Jesus, right? That represents someone else. There's not a deceitful bone in the body of Jesus. And so these things that we end up finding ourselves doing again because we used to do that before, we got to get rid of those. And we got to get rid of all of it. Peter continues and he says, Here's the things that you should desire. Here's the things that you should look for. So get rid of all that stuff. But then, like newborn babies who have to constantly drink milk to grow and to get bigger and stronger, do that with God's Word. You want to know how to become like Jesus? Put yourself constantly into the consumption of Jesus' Word. It says, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. You see, you and I should taste the word of the Lord and understand that is what is satisfying to my soul. All the other stuff, it leaves me wanting. It leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. But I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I want more and more and more. We are people that should rid ourselves of the thing that don't look like Jesus and constantly consume the things that do. We need to be a people who know Jesus and know what it says, and it starts to come out of us. I love, um, I love old quotes, and this one gets attributed to other people, but it's, it's a great quote, and I believe it's Charles Spurgeon speaking of John Bunyan. John Bunyan's the one who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, and John, uh, Charles Spurgeon said that if you were to cut him, he would bleed Bible. That's how much he had consumed the Word of God, that if he were cut, he would bleed Bible. So, I, I want to be so much 
like Jesus, and I want to consume so much of Jesus that if a mosquito bit me, it'd fly away singing, I'm washed in the blood, right? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we need to exude Jesus through all of our lives, everything within us. And then Peter addresses us as stones. And you could just read past this and not really get it, but it's very important. Very important. We'll see in a moment, Peter fleshes this out. He talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the stone that was set first to establish everything else, that everything would be established upon that stone. It was the foundational stone. Jesus is that. But then Peter says, you are living stones yourselves. He's saying everything that was established on the stone that everyone forgot about, Jesus, everyone rejected it, but you are living stones also. And what he says is that we are being stacked up to build a holy house, to build a house, a family, a people, a new temple to be built so that the world can see, the world can see that we are Jesus's people. And he lives in us. And our lives represent him. We're the stones of the house. We're a people for his purpose. We're a holy people. We're priests like him. We're offering sacrifices of praise, which Paul says as well. We are living sacrifices. Our very life and everything that we do is a sacrifice for people to see that Jesus is real. And we're to be that people. Lafayette first is to be a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're to be a people for his possession so that when people see you and me and us together, they know that Jesus is our Lord and he's our cornerstone and our lives are built on him and our church is built on him and we represent him for the whole world to see. We are a people set up to be like Jesus. We are a people, number two, living in covenant with God. We've done a good bit of study on covenant lately, particularly last uh, December. And as a reminder, God established covenants with people or people groups to place on them his chesed, his covenant love, his loyal love. And that we would display his likeness and his image. Just like my kids look like me, we are to look like Jesus. And we, we see that that likeness and that image, we remind ourselves from that series, we've got an image here to help us remember, that that likeness is the covenant relationship between God and humankind, God and us. And the image that is on us is that covenant relationship that we live out for the rest of the world to see. That likeness is we look like him. We are his sons and daughters. It's sonship. And that image of covenant is us living out his, loyal, his royal law, his loyal love for others to see. It's uh, servant kingship. For all to see that we represent him. We are his, the stewards of his love. It's this vertical love and this horizontal love happening at the very same time. And that covenant love 
sits on us. Peter begins with the cornerstone language we've already talked about, and it's that stone that Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are more stones building up his house. Then he uses language that carries on the idea of covenant. And if you look, if your Bible has cross-references, you'll see these passages, these royal priesthood, holy nation. You'll be able to look back at where they're at in Old Testament, speaking of covenant language there. These words, royal priesthood, holy nation, these things that he says that we are a, a people for his possession That's covenant language. It's to help us remember that we are in a relationship with God Almighty and we represent Him to all that we see. He's bestowed upon us His love, His chesed, His loyal love, and He wants us to send it out and show it out to everyone we come in contact with. In a few moments, we will take the Lord's Supper. We'll commune with Jesus' death burial and resurrection through a vivid imagery that helps us speak of the new covenant in his blood, the new covenant that Jesus established. And he establishes with any who trust in him and who have been saved by his blood. These phrases are reiterated from Old Testament scripture seeking Jesus' covenant God, speaking of Jesus' covenant, God has placed on us as a people his love. We display his likeness. We are his sons and daughters, and we bear his image to all. We are kings and queens, stewards living on his behalf for all to see. The third thing that we see in this passage, we are a people meant for visible good works. So Peter cannot be accused of being vague. He says all these things like covenant love and royal priesthood and cornerstone and all these words and then these last verses he fleshes it out. This is what it looks like. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is what it looks like. What does he say? Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. He reminds us to rid the things of our life, remember? And in verse 12, he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. It also, in other translations, say among outsiders, among non-believers, among people who have yet to trust Christ. So our job is to live honorably among these people. It's to live out the covenant love of Jesus. Our job as the church, our job as Lafayette First Baptist, our church is to live out this love relationship we have because Jesus bought us with his blood and we're to live that out among our neighbors. And then he says a few other things. He says, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works. Your life will be undeniable to them. Your life in Christ will be undeniable to them. And they'll have to, one, they'll glorify God, it says. They'll glorify him. So the whole point of this is to 
live our lives in such a way that the world can see, even when they mock us, even when they think that what we believe is antiquated and old and uh, outdated, that, that when they see our good works, when they see us living out the love that God has for us amongst them and amid, in their midst, some of them will come to faith also so that they will glorify God themselves when he comes. Peter's saying, number one, don't do dumb stuff. That's what he says in verse 11. That's just my translation. Don't do dumb stuff. Live honorably among everyone. They will slander you, but they won't have a true charge to bring because your good works will be undeniable, and they will end up glorifying God because of your walk and your life and the fact that you exude Jesus in their midst. <clears throat> That's what the vision was three years ago. That's what the vision is today. Our vision and mission for Lafayette First is really not unique. It's just biblical. And it's the fact that you and I have been called by Jesus out of our old lifestyle into a life of purpose. And we've got to do it. We've got to live that out. We've got to look like him. We are people that should look like him. We've got to live in the covenant love that he's bestowed upon us, realizing that Jesus died so that we could do that. And that we've got to let everyone possible see that Jesus is what, who we are. We're his people, and we live out of his and his empowerment. So my prayer, my prayer, as long as I'm pastor of this church, that in the community, people might, they might poke fun of us. They might think we're antiquated. They might think what we believe is old and outdated. But it will be undeniable we're the people of Jesus. And when they see us, they'll see Jesus. And it will be so undeniable to them that they've got to do something with that information. And my prayer, because of our witness, because we go, and not merely just live, but actually tell as well. Remember, we're established on the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the gospel has to be spoken. Romans 10 tells us that very clearly. Who will believe if no one goes? If no one, how beautiful are the feet of those who go with the message of the good news? You and I go and we share. But when we do, our lives align so clearly. Lafayette first aligns so clearly with Jesus' word. People will it'll be undeniable. And our prayer is that they would come to trust Christ and glorify him with their lives as well. We, we get to participate in this moment of, of communion. We commune with Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection. <clears throat> we, we commune with that by taking a cracker, usually kind of stale, that sticks in your mouth, and grape juice, right? Why? Because we are a people 
are his possession. We are his people. And when we do it, we remember Jesus bought my life. Jesus saved me and I represent him. Jesus said, when you drink of the cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. And just like in every covenant in all scripture, it all has that same formula that we are sons and we are servants. We're sons and daughters and we're servants. We receive the love of God. We receive the grace of God. We receive Jesus' death on our behalf. And we display that love for the world to see.